The older I get, the more significant All Saints Sunday becomes. In a way, it may be an acquired taste. I didn't grow up as a Southern Baptist observing it. Maybe it would have been higher attended if it were named Annie Armstrong or Lottie Moon. But on All Saints Sunday is the time where I get to remember the investments that people have made in my life that I hope is bringing about good equity and growing me. I sometimes look up in the balcony, even during the week, when I come into this sacred space and I see them sitting there as balcony people encouraging me. I also appreciate All Saints Sunday because the older I get, it feels like those who are there are not as far away. Those who have crossed over seem closer to me than they used to be. And then I guess I, on All Saints Sunday, have to taste my own mortality. For it feels closer too. I mean, thanks to you, I spend a lot of time in the cemeteries. Feel free to change that if you like. But I, I've spent no small time in the cemeteries for the last 20 years. But I noticed something different in the last few years, and that is that the grass in the graveyard feels differently beneath my feet. I think it's my aging. I think it's knowing that there are fewer years ahead than there are behind. And it's a time for me to think that through. It's not to say that it's a morbid day for me, but it is to say it's a mortal day. For just like all humans are born, all humans will die. It is a day, though, to ponder, for me, my crossing over. Are you familiar with that phrase as used about death? We use euphemisms about death because the word death hangs in our throat like a fishbone. We talk about passing on, passing away, or we just say, she passed. But also, in my childhood growing up, I would hear preachers talking about those who crossed over. Or like the old gospel song, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I think Porter Wagner sang that song. And, and Johnny Cash and other uh, big heroes around. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. And that phrase comes from the text we heard this morning. Three times the writer says it. And, and they prepared to cross over. And as they were crossing over, when they had finished crossing over, and so you can see, they were, but they were crossing over more than just water. They were crossing over to a new kind of life. You see, their parents, who had all died 40 years in the wilderness, none of the generation was left that remembered Egypt. But after they had died, then the next generation, all they knew was being nomadic wanderers. And so now by crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land, they would give up that land life of nomadic wandering and would become settlers, citizens, even warriors. But I love it how the storyteller slows down time. Because when you see a narrator injecting more details it's a signal for the reader to read more slowly. 
Because as the people are arriving at the Jordan, they are being led by this Ark of the Covenant. It leaves them, but once it gets in the Jordan and the feet of the priests get cold with water, that they stop. Mid-water. And the waters part, according to the text, and all of Israel comes walking by. This ark that has led them is now in the middle of them and then will follow them once they've gone through. It's almost like the narrator pauses long enough for us to hear the cynics on the shore going, look at those priests standing out there. That water's not going to part. Look at them just standing there. Their feet are getting cold. The water's running over their ankles. I don't think it's going to part at all. Or if it parts, well, it probably won't hold. By the time I walk through, I'll be drowned. But that's not what happened. They stayed, they waited, and all of Israel passes through, and they move on. This Ark of the Covenant has become a bridge. You hear how the writer is in, injecting with, with a light brushstroke, a metaphor, an analogy of how life is in transition. Formerly in the last river crossing, the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea, or however that story took place, it was a man that got it done. A lightning rod from God named Moses, but Moses is dead. Not even is Joshua standing as a part of this orchestration. Formerly, it was a man that got it done, that, that, that had it done, but now it is memory. For in this ark is held the memory of the covenant that God made with them, the covenant and the commandments. And they're holding this, these three priests are midwives of hope, in the middle, in between. The gospel singers grab this as a symbol for death, but it's also a symbol for life. All of life is a crossing over, right? A leaving one life and moving to another, moving from middle school to high school, from high school to college, moving one job to another job, or being in the middle with no job as the water rushes by. The question was going to be, where is God? And the answer that the storyteller gives is right there in the middle of your lives. The bridge, that's where God is. Five years ago, almost to the day, my mother died. She died just a week before All Saints Day. My sister and I had gone to be with her. She had fallen and broken her hip. This was the second one. But the doctors this time said, due to the condition of her lungs, she will not survive the surgery. And we suggest that you look at another kind of care. And so we wrestled it. We arm wrestled about palliative care. Eventually we signed on with hospice who came to the house. My sister and I argued about how much morphine to give. And I remember one morning I kept waiting and waiting until the hospice office opened at 8 a.m. And I called at 8 a.m. And they said, how can we help? And I said, well, we need some help. My sister and I are having a disagreement about how to care for our mother. And we need your help to figure out some things. And, and they said, well, we'll be glad to, to send. Do, do you need us to send the nurse uh, to talk with? Do you need us to send the chaplain 
to talk with you? Do, do you need us to send the social worker to talk with you? And I said, we need everybody you've got. Send them all. And they did. The most helpful to me was the social worker. And she looked at my sister, she looked at me, and she said, you two need to calm down. And you need to get on the same page. Because you have a story. And your mother has a story. She has a journey. You have a journey. And those are two different journeys. Well, they straightened us out. They helped for the first time in days. We finally rested. My sister packed her bag. She was leaving the next morning. And almost about the time she reached for her, her suitcase, our mother breathed her last. She had died. Now, some of you have had that experience of being with someone you've known a long time and loved a long time, and you are standing right beside them when they die. And you also know how that changes you. Life feels different, differently after that. It's more profound, it adjusts our threshold. Theology. Somebody was here and now someone isn't here. But where are they? What does that mean? What is the next step? What happens after life? I believe that the Bible encourages a sacred imagination. I believe it invites us to take on hope that looks like something beautiful. Like the Hebrews did. Oh, the promised land. Oh, it's a land of milk and honey. It's a river that flows by the throne of God. Now, frankly, I've always been mad that God wasn't more specific. I get a little tired of metaphors, analogies, parables, and poetry in the Bible when it comes to that. Couldn't, if, you know, if God's going to go to that much trouble to write the Bible, it looks like there could be more specificity. You know, I appreciate pearly gates and streets of gold, but... Well, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> How do you spin that? How do you give that away? Exact images from peculiar to the paradoxical and parables of Jesus. It's exhausting. But it's human to imagine something. It's holy to imagine. And God is bigger than our imagination. It's like the ark in the river. Not only was God in their past all those years of wandering, not only would God be in their present all of those years of settlement that lies ahead, but where is God in their present? God is right there. Y'all, you know, we might disparagingly say, well, God's in the box. But the box represents something. It's like the cup and the bread represents something. Because God's presence was not only past or future, God's presence was in that moment. It's the fulcrum of the text, the bridge of the presence. As they cross over, God is with them. A few days later, after my sister and my mother died, it was time to go to the church. It was time for the burial. The pastor came by and met with us and said, Now, now what are your needs for the funeral? And we looked at each other and said, well, whatever you do for a funeral, we'll be fine. 
We've been in this church all these years. We've come to all the funerals, thousands probably. Well, whatever you think appropriate will be just right. And I said, oh, well, I guess there would be two things. One, be sure that we thank the people for caring and that we thank God for the gifts of life and love. Other than that, tell the good news. Well, we did. We heard. We attended. And then we went to the cemetery. As some of you know how unique an experience that is, we placed her body in the holy ground. Ground on which my sister and I had played for nearly 60 years. Ground that we had stood with all of our family. Ground that we stood by mother while we buried our father five years before. And as some of you know, it is a sacred thing to bury the body which birthed you. But we weren't alone. The church was all around. That day, like this day, words fall short. That's why we need Bella here. Heartstrings are called upon to string together memory and hope and be held in a story that is bigger than we can imagine, whether past or future or in the tough transitions that some of you are going through in the present. Remember this, we are all connected to God and God is connected to all, especially, especially at times when we cross over. Amen.